0: I am so aware that he's beside me, and like, oh, he's breathing, any slight
2: movement, like I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm I'm, up. Welcome to How To, I'm Carvel Wallace. This is the second of a two-part series on sleep, and how to get more of it. Last week we met Vanessa, a radio host and entrepreneur who has been struggling with symptoms of insomnia for years.
0: I just remember having sleeping issues when I was younger, but not so much because of anxiety, but I think more of excitement. But eventually I would fall asleep. It was probably university days where I started really noticing, okay,
2: like it's getting tougher for me to fall asleep. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Over the years, she's developed some coping strategies like Wearing earplugs to drown out the noise, using mantras to convince herself that she's safe and secure, or just creating a cozy sleep environment. And yet, when her partner stays the night, all bets are off. I get really stressed out about not
0: being able to sleep. And then I think also it's the anticipation of, oh, my partner is going to be staying over with me. um, And... I just really need to get a good rest. And then I don't. And then it's so frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And then that's when I sometimes um, end up moving to my couch where I know I can at least get like a good couple hours of of shut eye before I have to get up and go to work and stuff.
2: Here's what we know. Sleep is objectively worse when you share the bed. About 30% of a night's disturbances can be attributed to a bed partner. And if that partner is a snorer well, then they can be blamed for about half of the night's disturbances. But then sleeping with a partner also has its advantages. You get to be close to the person you love. You get to cuddle. You get to see them first thing in the morning. You get to feel warm and sometimes safe next to them. So forget what the science says. Many of us simply want to be in bed together. So how can we make that better? Well, that's where Dr. Wendy Troxel comes in.
1: I became interested in sleep because I've always been interested in why close relationships matter for health. We know that people who are in married or, or married-like relationships tend to live longer, happier and healthier lives than their unmarried or unpartnered counterparts. And I really wanted to understand why that is. And that's really what brought me to an interest on sleep and particularly how couples sleep or don't sleep together.
2: Dr. Troxel is the author of Sharing the Covers. Every Couple's Guide to Better Sleep. Not only does sleep occupy one third of our lifespan, it's also the most frequent activity that couples do together. I mean, think about it. What else do you do with your partner that involves the two of you being inches from each other for seven to nine hours at a time?
1: There's a lot of stigma attached to, oh my gosh, like you automatically should just be sleeping blissfully with your partner because you love him right and it doesn't always work that way sometimes there's an adjustment um and and i think that that's partly what what you're going through and 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 there are strategies i've worked with many couples to sort of overcome those issues
2: this has been a problem that you have had to deal with on your own and now you have a partner and it still feels like it's still your problem and your partner is just there to sort of like you know, kind of like help, support, but not necessarily that it's something you guys need to solve together. And maybe it is something that you need to solve together. It's a shared problem because it's now our relationship problem. Yeah,
1: I always say it's a we problem, not a you problem.
2: So on today's show, how to face this we problem together and why, if you do decide to sleep apart, that doesn't mean your relationship is necessarily doomed. So fluff up your pillow and make yourself comfortable. We'll be right back. My current partner, the first time we slept together, like spent the night in bed together, it was like all cuddles and everything was so, and then I woke up in the morning and staring at each other and breathing on each other. And there was this feeling of like, well, the fact that we slept so well together and the fact that it was just so wonderful and warm and under the blankets, this means that this is the real deal. Mm, Like there was that feeling that this is what it means. And then as things progressed and we get annoyed with each other and it's like one one of us wants to stay up, you know, like until 3am reading, the other one needs to write and people are snoring. Mm -hmm. It's like, it feels like it's the breaking of that magic bond. And I guess I'm wondering a little bit, what is the history of sleeping together as a metaphor for how real our love is is that like always been the thing or is that kind of a newer thing in our evolution
1: Oh, that's a great question. Well, and I, I just wanted to respond. You know, I thought it was so interesting that yeah, you used the fact that you your first night together was like this blissful great night of sleep, that it was this sign of like the quality of the relationship. I could equally yeah. tell you lots of stories where, you know, you and you could imagine this. And it just shows why we shouldn't be equating these two things. Um, that like at the early stages of a relationship when you're just so, you know, passionately in love and excited to be with that person. Frankly, lots of new partners don't sleep well together, and it's really actually a sign that they're just so excited to be around this human being that they're so flooded with positive affect that they can't sleep. Now, when we get to the history of sleeping together, the reality is throughout human history, our sort of cultural norms regarding whether couples should sleep together or apart has varied dramatically so, you know, just think back to, you know, if, you, if you're, if you you know, watch The Crown or, you know, know of anything about like Victorian um, history. It used to be de rigueur for couples who could afford it to sleep apart. Mm. In fact, it was a sign of prestige. Mm-hmm. It was considered more hygienic uh, for <laughs> couples to sleep apart. If you back up, you know earlier than Victorian say in the medieval times it was it was far from that it wasn't just the marital bed that is couples sleeping together actually families would sleep together sort of anyone in the household would sleep together in part because the bed was often the most costly piece of furniture in the house so there'd be one bed for an entire household so you jump from the medieval to Victorian and then even fast forward Even further to the, you know, 1950s, we had these images of couples, even, you know, married couples on television, um, sleeping apart. And in fact, it was, you know, mandated by, you know, Mm. Hollywood rules uh, that that a couple couldn't uh, share a bed or if if a man and a woman were in a bed together, one of them had to have a foot on the floor. You know, that was Mm -hmm. sort of the chastity belt. Ricky? Uh? Are you asleep?
0: No.
4: (laughs) (laughs)
1: I never heard so much quiet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'll get used to it. Good night.
1: Good night. And then you fast forward further to the 1960s. That's where we really started to see the shift in terms of our views about the marital bed and equating the marital bed and couples sleeping together that that was necessarily a sign of a, you know, of a good relationship. That's sort of where we've moved today, that there's this very strong, you know, social stigma that, you know, a happy couple is a couple that sleeps together. You know, no ifs, ands, or buts about it.
2: I feel like, Vanessa, part of the what you talked about in your letter is that there's a difference of opinion between you and your partner about what sleeping apart means. Um, because I'm thinking, like, in my own experience, like we may feel like it's better for us to sleep apart or one of us may feel that way, but Mm -hmm. if the other person feels abandoned or this triggers their insecurities or this triggers their feeling of being like sort of set aside, then we have a problem that we have to work through. And I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if that comes up in your relationship that you and your partner have different beliefs about what it means to sleep apart.
0: I remember one conversation we had a few months ago um, where Uh, we were talking about just, you know, couples sleeping apart. And I wanted to sort of gauge where he was at with that idea. (laughs) Um, And because before we had that conversation, he had already, you know, stayed over a bunch of times. And I also briefed him beforehand, you know, like, when we first started dating that I, I do have sleeping issues. And it's not anything to take personally but it's just I've always been a really light sleeper and just yeah different situations and new experiences it's just a little bit tougher for me to to fall asleep so he knew that part and then when we were talking about couples sleeping apart it just didn't sound like he was very um gung ho about that <laughs> and i mean i think this is the thing is that you know uh, dr troxel was just talking about you know the past and how there's a stigma right and when I'm thinking about, you know, our culture and TV shows and movies and stuff too, it always shows couples sleeping together and yeah. like really happy and really relaxed. And it's always like, not always, but they usually show it's like, it's a great experience.
1: Oh, I'm done. <laughs> you know, I don't have a watch, but I think I just said a new record. Well, <laughs> oh, actually, I, I didn't finish. <laughs> Oh, I'll owe you one. <laughs>
0: and I'm just like sitting here, like, okay, realistically, that was not mm. me guys. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I don't know if that's really accurate, but like yeah. for me, it's not. But um, yeah, I, like my partner was just saying, like, I don't, I don't know any couple who sleeps apart and where that leads to to good things. Like, I think that leads to oh, wow. like, negative things. And I, I don't, yeah, I just was kind of disheartened a little bit and I i sort of think too, like, oh, like no one's gonna wanna date me if I have sleeping issues. Like no one's oh, gonna yeah. want to travel with me oh, if I have sleeping yeah. issues, right? And then and then I get down this really big anxiety hole where it's just like yeah. I can't get out of it.
2: What Vanessa is describing here, sleeping apart, is being called a sleep divorce, which obviously sounds kind of judgy and bad, like something's broken or like you're splitting apart, like you're giving up. So instead, Dr. Truxo recommends thinking about sleep arrangements less like a marriage and more like an alliance.
1: Realizing and working through what's working and what's not working for you as a couple. I think that's also a way for couples to sort of engage in this in a less threatening way because it's, you know, it's it's not all or nothing. It's not forever. It's let's see how this actually works for us. I think there's just that
0: thought of, oh, what are people going to think if like mm-hmm. they know we sleep apart? Because I, I actually know mm. um, people in my life who they, couples who have been together for a long time who sleep apart sometimes because it just works for their schedule. One has to get up earlier and doesn't want to make noise and disturb the other one. Right. or. Right. Um, yeah, and it's fine. They're fine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, there's lots it's of not like they're on the reasons. brink of
0: divorce. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, what you described, Vanessa, is so sort of classic. And it's so important to really, you know, find mutually okay strategies and to really talk about it. Because his perspective is, well, I don't have any trouble sleeping. And I kind of like, I really like sleeping with her. And it's cozy and it's comfortable. And so the pressure around sleep, he just doesn't have it. Because he's a good sleeper. And mm-hmm. so that's really the challenge that, you know, I often face. help couples work through is that, that issue of, the, you know, the person who's struggling with sleep, the reason he or she is even, you know, considering, you know, anything including separate sleeping arrangements is because they're so desperate for sleep. And it's really yeah. hard for the person who's not suffering from insomnia to understand that level of desperation. So it easily can feel like a sense of abandonment or rejection or kind of like, well, but that's not how it should be done.
2: I want to ask you a question, Vanessa, because my insecure ass would would be feeling very <laughs> like... <laughs> I'd be feeling so guilty like oh I'm the weird person who's like making us have to solve this thing I don't want this to be a thing for everyone because I'm such a weirdo is that do you have that feeling on some level that like you've brought this messiness into what was like a normal place and that makes it hard for you like I'm wondering if that resonates for you at all
0: (laughs) yeah being the one with the sleeping issue
2: yeah yeah that you're the one with the issue, even the way yes. you said that. Yeah,
0: you know. yeah, yeah, it totally does. And then this yeah. this goes back to what I was saying earlier, like, you know, before I got back into, you know, this, this dating journey, um, I, I, yeah i was just like thinking like oh nobody's gonna want to date me because i'm my sleeping issues are going to come up at some point or another and then what then what if we travel together and then like they're probably gonna want to stay over and then and and then me staying over at their place just brings on so much anxiety and i'm just like ah like it's just so much easier if i wasn't
1: in a relationship Vanessa, I just wanna say you absolutely deserve to be loved and to love <laughs> even with your sleeping problems. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah,
0: I I, I mean, and now that I'm in a relationship and he's someone who's who's super important to me, obviously, yeah. and very special mm-hmm. to me and mm-hmm. um yeah, I, I I still Carvel, I still feel like yeah, I'm like the weird one, you know. Mm. I'm I like all of my other friends, you know, who are married and been with their partners for years and years and years, like they're fine. Why am I <laughs> the one
1: with a messed mm-hmm. up sleep? Like, ah, oh, it's so unfair. No. <laughs> yeah. But again, this gets back to this is a societal norm. And yes, you're mm. living outside that norm, but the societal norm is a relatively new phenomenon, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you would have been like totally like on trend, um, you know, back in the Victorian era. And there seems <laughs> to be some evidence that, you know, there's more and more couples who are actually recognizing that they sleep better apart. And so yeah. maybe it'll become in fashion again. But like it's important to recognize that there is, you know, no no sort of biological basis that we're aware of that conclusively says that sleeping together is better or worse than sleeping apart
2: what's interesting about that is that it also suggests that if we could feel like um we were safe and secure in our relationships while sleeping alone then we would have the best of both worlds i mean right like that that like on the one hand you have this thing of like well I don't sleep as well but I feel better about my relationship. I don't feel like we're turning into old fuddy-duddies who were who are in a loveless marriage. Um, which is stressful. And then on the other hand, you have like the really good sleep of sleeping alone. It's like, if you could have both, then you could really have everything.
1: Great point. Well, actually one of sort of the fundamental tenets of attachment theory, which is one of the most well-researched theories in relationships um, across mm-hmm. the lifespan is mm-hmm. that in truly secure attachments, they become so embedded in our psyches that that feeling of safety and security um, Is with us, whether our Mm. partner is, you know, standing next to us or sleeping next to us or not. And that's what really speaks to the powerful health benefits of relationships that we kind of carry the presence of our partner with us, um, even if we're, you know, there's some physical distance between us. So it's another reason to say, like, for a couple wherein sleeping together is not benefiting your sleep, it doesn't have to mean anything about sort of how you feel about your partner or where they fit in your heart.
2: Okay, cool. So like all you have to do is develop a truly secure attachment with your partner. (laughs) If only it were that easy. But how do we actually get to this point? Especially when you have a partner who is allergic to the idea of sleeping separately. What do you say we sleep on it until after this quick break? We're back with Vanessa and Dr. Truxell, author of Sharing the Covers, Every Couple's Guide to Better Sleep. In her book, Dr. Truxell has what she calls pillow talk primers that help couples open up about their underlying beliefs about sleeping arrangements.
1: First of all, the purpose of these is really to kind of take back the night for couples. Whether or not you choose to sleep together, we as a society and as many couples um, are really forsaking that critical time that can be you know really quality time spent together before either partner falls asleep you know like even you know whether you sleep together or not there's that time in bed before you go to bed and so often now couples are like scrolling through their phones independently instead of sharing that really sacred quiet time with their spouse or partner some of the strategies that I talk about um, in terms of priming the conversation about you know what's working and what's not working when when it comes to the bedroom particularly with regards to our sleep um it's you know first of all talking about your expectations ab- about you know the bed and the marital bed and you know what did your parents do did you you know sleep with a sibling, um, or did you share a room with a sibling growing up? Kind of talking about our own values and expectations and where they came from, that's sort of a non-threatening way just to sort of open the dialogue around the shared sleep space. Again, because we don't have great strategies for doing so. Another exercise that I talk about in my book that I think is really useful, uh, just because it has both, you know, pro-relationship benefits and also potential sleep benefits is an exercise called the high-low compliment technique. And it's a really simple and short exercise that couples can engage in at night where you first take turns in sharing some high or something good that happened in your day, something low or something not so good that happened, and then paying your partner a compliment or saying something that you appreciate about them. The reason why I say this is, can have both pro relationship and sleep benefits is that we know that anything that we do that um, increases emotional disclosure, um, that's good for relationships. It's also good for sleep. So as you share about your day, that can benefit Both expressing gratitude is also good for your sleep, it's also good for your mood, and anything Mm. you do to boost your mood, particularly prior to bedtime, is also good uh, for your sleep as well as your relationships. So it's just a simple strategy that couples can engage in at night to, again, take back the night, to use that sacred time together, even if you choose eventually to go separate ways, to really connect and share something meaningful with each other.
2: Vanessa, does this sound like stuff that you think might be helpful in your situation? And you can be honest. <laughs> yes, like, yeah.
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Did I share your I went, problem. I hope. Yeah.
2: So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I oh gosh, I wish. Uh, I wish. Right in Got an hour, it. I'm like, oh wow, Duh. I can sleep now. I hope you fall asleep on the podcast.
2: I hope you, we just end on the sound of you snoring. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. If you don't hear me, th- that means you know I, I fall I'm that asleep. good. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I I love that a lot, and and I love how you said it. Just it's so simple, but can be so beneficial. Um, and I, I definitely think my, my partner is very open to, um, having a conversation about this and solving the, you know, this thing together. He's been really, really patient with, you know, me explaining, you know, my, my sleep hygiene is really important to me, right? Like what I need to do my downtime that I need before I go to bed. Like that's super important to me. And he knows that he's, you know, tried to be really helpful, which is super sweet. Like he'll, Read me bedtime stories, like kid stories, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's not just me by myself yeah. uh, and stressing out about it and not being able to sleep. But yeah, I, I do. I love the high low thing that the strategy that you were just talking about.
2: So if if people do end up sleeping apart, which I, I I hope we have thoroughly destigmatized in the in the space of this podcast, but if people do end up sleeping apart, what other advice do you have for? I guess, maintaining connection, especially around touch and cuddling and that feeling.
1: If you're not going to share, you know, the full night together, making sure that you schedule time um, to cuddle, um, to just be close with each other, to have sex. All of which actually, you know, there actually could be some physiological and sleep benefits Um of that type of, you know, a physical closeness, the research is still emerging. But we certainly know that there are psychological benefits. It's one of the reasons why close relationships are health protective. That, you know, physical touch and intimacy really does um, satisfy both our emotional needs and also um, can produce this calming response in our body, which is uh, sort of really good for our physical health as well. And if you're experiencing feelings like abandonment and you really, you're somebody who really does benefit from sharing a bed and having that closeness with another person, you know, really exploring that with your partner. And maybe, you know, sleeping apart is not the choice for you as a couple or, you know, depending on the nature of the problem, it might be, you know, separate twin beds that are pushed together, which allows, you know, for each partner to have sort of their own sleeping space, but it sort of has the appearance of a king-size bed. This is called the Scandinavian method. Um, that allows... St- for sort of the convenience of closeness when you want to be close, um, but then sort of rolling apart and having your mm-hmm. own individualized mattress and bedding in case your partner is a sheet stealer or tosses and turns, <laughs> you know, these kind mm-hmm. of issues mm-hmm. that might sort of compensate and sort of give you the benefits of still sharing the, you know, proximal physical space, but also having your individualized space. And then also, as I said to Vanessa, sometimes it's about. Trying out new strategies on a very much experimental or trial basis, because it's when we think that things are going to be permanent mm-hmm. that it really yeah. activates those sort of triggers for abandonment, yeah. um, that, you know, from yeah. childhood or whatnot. If you do it in a really non-threatening way of like, we're just trying this out, it's much less threatening.
0: Mm-hmm. I-, I have a question, actually, about um you know just t- testing things out and and you know cuz we're just getting data basically right exactly like, so, so right cuz right now we live apart and we have not had the conversation uh, m- maybe this is much more down the road in the future of um living together i i certainly think that could be a possibility um but i wonder if it's also because of the inconsistency of how often um he stays over that um, adds to my anxiety? Like, I don't know if that it would help.
1: I think that's a great... Yeah. Like, would it help
0: if he he, um, stayed over more than one night just to test, you know?
1: Predictability is one of the things we can do to create a sense of safety and security. For instance, it's why you know, in children, we implicitly recognize the importance of having a very consistent nighttime routine. You know, it's first bath and then it's reading and then your parent puts you to bed. Like there's a reason for this. That kind of constant routine and predictability of the nighttime schedule is one of the cues to our brain that the world is safe and secure. So I think you're on to something absolutely that um, in this sort of, you know, on again, well, not on again, off again, but um you're not permanently, you know, sleeping together or permanently, you know, sleeping apart because you're not, you know, permanently living together at this Mm -hmm. point, that arrangement in itself is unpredictable. And so it honestly may be, and I would give yourself the grace to expect over time that, you know, no matter what, there's always an adjustment period that if you were, you know, stably living together, that that constant nature would in itself reduce some of the anxiety because at least it was the Mm. same. So one strategy is, you know, to try to create predictability and to try to follow your usual sort of sleep routine or bedtime routine, whether you're, you know, at your apartment or home or your partner's apartment or home, um, to create that kind of consistency, um, regardless of setting. Mm
2: I love this conversation and I wish we could go on forever, but we're getting to the end of it. And so um, my question for Vanessa, first of all, is um, has this been helpful to you at all?
0: yeah absolutely i i was very much looking forward to this conversation <laughs> uh, my partner already knows i'm i'm on this podcast yeah. talking to you about my sleep <laughs> issues so <laughs> <That's good. laughs> i, I briefed. yeah i briefed him um before uh yeah just to let him know that i'd be talking about it um but yeah i just uh definitely will be bringing up uh this in conversation with him and and how we can work on this together
2: mm. <laughs> dr troxel do you have any last advice
1: Well, I just really want to encourage couples to know that prioritizing your sleep is one of the best things you can do for the health of your relationship. Mm. It is not selfish. It is not... indicative of you loving your partner less or uh, feeling less connected with them necessarily. It's really that prioritizing sleep, we know, is a great way to improve your mental health, your ability to communicate well, uh, your propensity to conflict, all of which really matters in the context of a relationship. Yeah. So I would encourage you to treat sleep, given that it's a very intimate behavior as a couple-level decision and find strategies that are going to work for you and your partner rather than, you know, ascribing to any sort of shoulds or should-nots that, you know, are societally prescribed if it's not working for you.
2: I love that. Um, all right. I um, appreciate you so much, Vanessa. It was so great to have you come on and talk so openly about your relationship. And Dr. Troxel, I really loved just hearing your expansive knowledge about this and It's given me so much to think about. So I just want to thank you both for your time and attention in talking today.
3: Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks
0: so much for answering my question.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I love what Dr. Truxell said at the end, prioritizing sleep is one of the best things you can do for your relationship. So often in relationships, we find ourselves, or maybe it's just me, I find myself feeling like I have to choose between the two, between what's healthy for me and what's healthy for my partnership. But sometimes, every once in a while, that's a false dichotomy. Sometimes the very thing that allows me to show up whole and healthy and complete to my life is the very same thing that allows me to show up fully to my relationships. And isn't that a beautiful thing when it works out that way? Thanks again to Vanessa for lying on the couch and sharing all of this with us. We'll link to Dr. Truxell's book in our show notes. Is there a problem that has you tossing and turning at night? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we might have you on the show. And if you know someone who could use more sleep, and isn't that pretty much all of us, please share this two-part series with your friends and family. It's how we keep this show going. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson, Kevin Bendis, and Jabari Butler produced this episode. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. Amanda Ripley is my co-host, and I'm Carvel Wallace. Thanks for listening.